turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And uh, we're going to cover a lot of verses today. Man, this podium is short. Zach, we need, we need to have like a little like insert under here for when it's non-Ronnie days and we can bring it up a little bit. There was a guy that used to preach at the college he used to work at, and he was um, a wee little man. And he would walk up to the podium. It's kind of a bigger podium. And he'd walk up, and, and if you're sitting anywhere in the first half, you no longer could see his face. And so he would walk around the corner, and he would just, you'd just see his hands flying the whole time. And he had this hand gesture. And so you just get talked to by a voice with hands the whole time. And it was the same sermon. I don't feel in danger of that right here. I feel nearly exposed. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20, and I'm going to go on to chapter 3 a little bit. It says this. Ah, let's start in verse 18. For through him, it's Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." I listened to the book of Ephesians two times on the way up here today from my trip up. Um, little ESV app, you can just listen to it. And though this section has so much stuff in it, but I'm just going to be honest with you in the weakness of who I am. When I hear a lot of that, it kind of goes, wah, 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 wah. It's so rich. It's like, wah, 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 and, and it all melts together. I'm hoping that God will allow us to kind of not let it melt together that he would open our eyes and allow us to understand the beautiful things in here. Because Substance Church, you got nothing unless this passage is alive. All right, let me pray for us as we go forward. Father, we come to you in the weakness of our flesh. We come to you standing in the righteousness of Jesus as we sang these songs coming up to this. And so, Father, I ask that you would send your spirit with great power on us this morning. For me as a speaker, Lord, that I would be faithful to open your word and explain it, and that your spirit would guide me in how to do that. And for us as brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would give us the ability to look into your word and see what you're saying, and that we would get it, and that um, this masterful plan that you have, and that you, um, in a holy way, boast about, would light our hearts on fire, 
and uh, that we would delight to be there. In Christ's name, amen. So I told you we came to this passage today because um, of the nature of Substance Church and me hoping that it would help you guys understand who you are. Um, my my sub-hopes in this, number one, that for individually for you as you listen to it, number one, that God would free you from being the main player this morning. Free you personally from being the main player because you're not the main player. And number two, that he would free you to see the, the honor and the vitality of seeing your individual and substances corporate place in the unfolding plan of our amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. There's amazing honor and amazing vitality in it. But at the core of it, and, and David mentioned this morning, we have this thing we call the gospel, right, which is um, short term for this good news that comes out. And we leave a, a shore we know, which was living in darkness and not caring about God and not caring about the consequences. And, and for many of us, this, the, coming to the gospel is a, is a journey of understanding. And I've got people in our church right now that are in the journey of that understanding. Some of them like know Jesus, they trust Jesus. But I have a number of my friends that are on the journey and they don't know they're on the journey. They think they've landed, they haven't yet, I don't think. And they are, they're finally seeing, you know, I don't want to be... I don't, uh, something's wrong. There's pain in my life, pain in this world, and I don't want it. And I hear that God has a solution to that. So they've, leave, they've left the shore, but they're not really understanding what God's fully saying yet. Some of them have left the shore a little farther, and they understand there is a God, and there is fundamentally a problem between us as humans and that God. And so there's some kind of freedom in God, some kind, to make us okay with God. And they're kind of left the shore. They're coming this way. But many times we don't understand that really the fullness of the gospel is this, that, that God came to free us from a condition. Okay, the condition is found in the very first part of our passage, and uh, we, never, we never get done kind of bragging about this. So if you, know, if, you, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're happy to wear this on your sleeve. If you know believers in Jesus Christ, they're not really ashamed to talk about this. It's in Ephesians 2.19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In the beginning, the first part of the gospel is this, that things are really, really bad for us. We are not at peace with God. Therefore, that's why there's all this pain and suffering in the world. That's why everything is uh, not going so great with elections. That's why things are not going so great in the Middle East. That's why things aren't going so great in so many places, because there's this break between us and God. And we are part of the problem. We're fully culpable for that. Scott Burns was an alien and an enemy separated from God, as it says in this passage, I'm a stranger, I was a stranger and an alien, but now something different. This new life is a new life of no longer Scott-centered, but now God-centered. No longer an alien from God, but a citizen and a part, not only just a citizen, but a hyper-citizen, a member of the household of God. The gospel is this. He offers to move you from being an enemy of God, and that's his term, it's not mine, it's his term, an enemy of God, that's tough stuff. To, bring, to not only being forgiven of that, but actually all, adopted all the way into his household to be a child of God. That's the move from enemy to adopted child of God. Method is that he sent Jesus to come live, die, rise again. And only God, in what he did there, using the work of Jesus, can move us from being an enemy and separated from God to being part of the household of God. That's it. 
you can't walk that journey. You can't up your game. You can't freshen things up. Nothing. The only way that you can move from being in severe trouble with God into the severe love of God, the amazing deep love of God, is to just stop where you're at. Don't try to tidy your game. Don't try to go mow the lawn of your heart and then invite Jesus over for a visit. Just stop where you're at and listen to what he's saying and say, Jesus, I, I take that. I admit that I am absolutely broken and set apart from you. And I admit, hope, and place my full trust in what you have done and that you are eager to give that to all who call upon the name of the Lord. So I, Scott Burns, call upon the name of the Lord. And from this day forward until I am 84, whatever, however I'll, I'll be, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the work of Jesus to have transformed me from being an enemy of God into being now a child of God. And if he does that, he does a thing in my heart here. He changes my worldview. Instead of being self-centered, I now become God-centered. And there's a battle for that, quite honestly. Even though my heart's new, there's always this sliding back. I'm an idiot. But seriously, hang out with me for a day. You'll find out that I'm an idiot. Right? Jesus is the, the, the hero of this, not Scott Burns. And so there's always this slide, this, this conquering God. It's just coming back and again into my heart and my life. And he's changing me more and more to look like Jesus. And the more and more I look like Jesus, the more and more I love Jesus. The more I love his plan, the more I love what he's doing. And the less and less that I am centered, the more and more that he is centered. Today's passage is a little bit of a test for you as we go through, just to be honest with you. You'll hear it, and it's not a very good marketing text for the, the you-centered model. It's just not a very good one. In fact, you're going to go, eh, that was boring. How was the message this morning? Whether or not I'm interesting or not, you go, I don't really like it because it didn't really tell me a whole lot about making me the center. It does a whole lot about making Christ the center. So I would encourage you guys to, to read along with me in this passage here, and I just want to point out a few things. I hope they're helpful to you and to the church this morning. Let's look in 219 to 22. Number one thing, I want you to see this. God's house is his family. His church is his family. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, amen and praise God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's that word, say the word household. I want you to just lock that in for a second. We'll come back to it. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you got a lot of terms there, cornerstone, temple, dwelling place. We hear a lot of things that kind of blend together here. I just want to kind of go over the top of it and see what's, what's happening here. That not only are we benefited from getting to be included in God's blessing, but we, individually as a church, ethically, personally, uh, ethnically and personally, play a role in the construction and the adornment of God's household. God is saying, I have a household. I've got boys and girls all across this world and across thousands of years and times, and I am building for myself my family, my household. Now, um, it's a dwelling place. It's where he lives. He doesn't live in buildings. He lives amongst his people. Now, usually, usually I'll never point out things like in Greek, and we do that for per a good reason not to point out things in Greek or Hebrew, but there's, there's some funny words in here, and it would make just really ugly English if we, if we read this this way. So I'm just going to kind of read verse 19 to, to 20, uh, right, 19 
in the verses below, with this repeat word. That word household, it shows up all the way through this text, okay? So let me just, I want you to kind of hear the themes it goes through. Here's what, here it actually would be the words. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, being house raised on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole house being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you are also being mutually house-raised into a house for God by the Spirit. And then verse 2 of chapter 3, assuming that you've heard of the house plan of God's grace that was given to you, uh, given to me for you. In verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the house plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. There is this theme of the household of God. It's all about God is building this place for him to dwell, and we are part of it. That's the very nature of church. That's why we say church is not a service. It's not a building. The church is the family of God. It's his, bro- it's his sons and daughters brought to God, brought to the Father by the work of Jesus. And so, first thing, as you think about Substance Church and whatever church God may take you in the future, we have to put aside this notion of building of organization and of event. It has to go away. When we are part of God's grand family, God is building for himself a family. And each church is a local representation of that. That's why the people to your right and to your left and to the front and to the back of you, they are, by God's definition, your brothers and sisters or potential brothers and sisters. This, is, this changes everything. If I walk into Substance or if I walk into Cross City Church or church down there, um, what am I walking into? I have to make a conscious decision when I walk into our church service to remember that I'm going to be with the family of God and I have a spirit in me and his, and his sons and daughters are beloved to him. And he brings me in to function as part of that family. And so I'm not coming in to stand up and sit down and to pass some peace and those kind of things. I'm actually coming to be the family and that's why I stand up and sit down and pass peace and listen to God's word and to praise him because it's all part of the family of God. So as you look at substance, dear substance family, first of all, see that this is the family of God. This is what Christ has done. He's brought you together as a family of God. And with every single person that is added to the substance family, you as the family have to help them understand that they're welcome to the family and that they're part of a family to welcome other people to the family. Otherwise, every single person will bring an American influence of church is an event, church is a really cute stage, church is a place where we perform and do our skills and those kind of things. We all bring images of the church in it. Jesus says the church is the household of God. It has a foundation, which is Jesus Christ, built on the next layer, which is the apostles and prophets. And up from there comes this beautiful foundation of the household of God. You're part of it. That is what you are as Substance Church. That's what we are as Cross City Church. So for your heart, when you come into it, remember that it's the household of God. And also, as you make disciples in this town, invite them into being part of the household of God, not a Sunday morning event, not a building, not simply an organization. And that changes everything because that makes us now love each other. Now all the commands of Jesus loving one another. New command I gave you to love one another as I've loved you, so you're to love one another. It all makes sense now because it is a familial thing. Second piece. Chapter 3, verse 1. Not only is God building for himself a family, a house that is a family. It's where God dwells. Number two, this family, this, okay, a little bit deeper edge of the pool, but not too much. This is where Ashland comes into the gospel. 
God's family has always been designed to be built from all people types. But he didn't let that, didn't let that cat out of the bag until the New Testament. So that's why this word Gentiles comes in there. You ever read Gentiles? Usually it's circling not too far from a weird word called circumcision, stuff like that in the New Testament. Um, let me just give you a brief history from God to Gentiles. So here's what happens. God makes the whole world. whole world runs away from God. We all hate him. We may not be aware of it, but we do hate him. And so we're all dark and run away. God comes, speed version here, God comes and speaks specifically with a deal to this guy named Abraham. Later on, changed his name to Abraham. Speaks a deal to him and saying, I, I'm going to come to you, Abraham, not because, Abraham, I've searched the earth and you're the best one out there. You're doing the best things. But actually because Abraham was in need. God came to him in grace. God gave his promise to Abraham. Abraham trusted those promises. It says that God reckoned him as righteous. That was the meaning that God looked at Abraham and flipped through the books of Abraham's life. He goes, all right, I'm going to give him a grade B in righteousness. It means he looked through Abraham's books. Abraham had an F in righteousness, like you and your grandma and me, had an F in righteousness, and then God reckoned righteousness to him. God counted him as righteous, declared him, you are now righteous. Not because of what I found in the books, but because of what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to you in this strange way later on. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. Right? So he speaks to humanity, gives grace, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to build a nation out of you, Israel. And so God is exposing who he is and the way he thinks and truth and, and, and what falseness is and what life is. He pours it in through the nation of Israel. Because Israel's really righteous? No, obviously not. Just read the Old Testament. Israel is not righteous. So he pours it into Israel. So if the world wants to know who the God of all the world is, they have to go to Israel to find him. Because in Israel is where God is showing himself. So all the nations that are Israel are called Gentiles. They are the nations to whom God is still a mystery. They live in darkness. They decide what is right and wrong, just like their great-granddad Adam told them how to do, right? And so they live in darkness. God is not known and understood by them out there. They have to come to Israel to find that. So we have the nation of Israel, and we have all the worshiping of God that happens and all the sacrificial systems, and this new thread of a promise that God's going to do this amazing thing to this guy that would call the anointed one, and later on they kind of morph the word to Messiah. In the New Testament, you see the word Christ that this one here would actually unfold things in a new way. But there's something going to happen when that Christ would come, that God would break the walls off of Israel and that he would show himself to the whole world. But they didn't quite get it. It was just hints, hints and little, little uh, nuggets that that was going to happen. Well, Paul, Jesus comes, he lives and dies and rises again. He is the Messiah. And when he does that, he now unfolds the plan that's always been God's plan, that now God will expose himself to the entire world, not just through Israel, even to the Gentiles. And so no longer do the Gentiles have to become Jewish people to actually understand who God is. Now God is going out in their languages and into their cultures and transforming hearts through the power of Christ and through his indwelling spirit and making the nations, people amongst the nations, know and love God in their native cultures. And it's not a redo. So Paul is telling them it's not a redo. It's something God has always done. In verse three, uh, chapter three, verse one, it says this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, so literally he's in prison because he's preaching Jesus to the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So God taught Paul some of this stuff. God hadn't let the cat out of the bag before. He taught Paul some of this stuff. So any part of God's plan 
that's not revealed yet. It's called a mystery. As I've written briefly, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insights in this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles, his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. And here it comes. Here's this mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles, Ashlonians, see, it matters, because most of you guys aren't Jewish folks that moved over from Israel. Most of you are like Norwegian imports or something like that that are like mixed, whatever, but you're Ashlonians now, right? And you might have a John Deere, um, or you might just commute out of town. You might be wearing a big belt buckle, or you might be looking like a hipster this morning, but you're Ashlonians, right? And by and large, you're Gentiles. So how... Do you as a Gentile really get to tie into this? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this emphatic language here to show that they are full share partners. Full share partners. So it's Gentiles, and I'm one of those. I have no idea what my heritage is. I don't know what it is. You can inform me later. If you find me on Ancestry.com, let me know what it is, all right? But I'm a Gentile. I am now, you as a Gentile now, and if you are of Jewish heritage, we are genuine, full citizens together, full co-heirs of the promises of God. Because some, this is where the gospel kind of goes into crazy levels. So remember, we were enemies from God, but now we're brought into the household of God. When God brings us into his household, he says, not only is it intimate love where, where now I put my spirit in you and you call me father and you can talk to me straightforward. I mean, Jesus is our high priest and he's made a way for us to talk to the father all the time. And the father loves you way more than you'll ever love him. Uh, the father starts every prayer you start to pray. You don't have to sit there and like beg him for a little airtime. He put the idea in your head to pray, right? The father's there with you. But not only is he intimately with you, he says, I'm gonna make you heirs. Of mine. So as my children, now you get to inherit all things that are mine. We are co-heirs, even co-heirs with Christ. So there's a future where I'm just telling you, Ashland is yours. And so is Cleveland. So is all of Ohio, America, the oceans. Right? We are heirs with God of all things he has made and the planets that go beyond. We are actually co-heirs with him. And that goes to the Jewish people and the Gentile people, all who would trust Jesus. So if you're a Jewish person or a Gentile person in Jerusalem or Ashland, your only hope is to cr trust Christ. And if you trust Christ, you are made a child of God and an actual co-heir of the inheritance of God. The, I'm just telling you, if, if that fits easily in your head, you're not even on the same page of what's going on here. Not even on the same page. He says things in other place. He goes, all things are yours. He goes, you know, Paul, me, and life and death, all things are yours. Like there is an air, there is a future for us and an honor in what we get to share that really we can't even begin to scratch the 1% understanding of. But he says, it's out there. There's something coming for you that you will love. And it's an absolute honor for you to be a part. And you as a Gentile, you as an Ashlonian, have genuine claims to it because it's always been part of God's plan to make his family a multi-ethnic family. 
It has Jewish roots, right? The, the Jewish Savior, the cornerstone, Jewish apostles and prophets. But from there it goes up, he distinctly loves the distinction of different people and wants to keep them that way. So let's just go red bricks, blue bricks. Don't read Democrat, Republican into that. But let's just say the red bricks are Jewish and the blue bricks are all of us Gentiles, right? So the foundation of this place is red. The Jewish Jesus, that had to be as part of his, the prophecy of who he would be. The Jewish Jesus and then the apostles and prophets. It's all red. But from there, it blows up into immensely blue and red brick place. A family that is not homogenous. Homogenous in that we have one father. Homogenous that we have one savior that brings us out there. But outside of that, we are very different and he loves the differences. Remember? The Jewish people now get to keep their Jewishness and all their cultures that come with it. But now, you get to keep your Ashelonian cultures. And might I even say, honestly, the people that come to be part of church here substance, let us Help them see Jesus and let Jesus be their primary culture. But their secondary culture of their language and their dress, their, their ways of life, their preferences, their music, their tattoos, their non-tattoos, what they tend to drive, what they tend to do for enjoyment, those kind of things, let the cultures be distinct. Because God loves the very hodgepodge nature of his family and their cultures. God loves it. And they're all legitimate just as legitimate as any person who still stands in Jerusalem today. So Substance Church, number one, you are a legitimate family of God and um, co-heirs with all the children of God. It's not something that is a pipe dream that you as Substance Church would somehow have a legitimate tie-in to what God's doing. What God is doing has always been part of his plan, and Substance Church and the people of Substance Church have always been a part of that, and it's a beautiful thing. Part three, Simply in verse 7 to 9, Paul's ministry and what it is. He says of this gospel, this is verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, because he was a saint murderer. So if you haven't read the New Testament, Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, was literally a saint murderer. This grace was given. Here comes the two parts of his ministry. Number one, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Number two in verse nine, to bring to the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So number one, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Number two, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So here at Substance, I know you guys talk about the gospel all the time. You guys form your liturgy around it. It's in your sermons. It's in everything you do. This was the heartbeat of Christ. And the heartbeat of the gospel, even beyond your forgiveness and your future, the heart of the gospel is the excellencies of Christ. The excellencies of Christ are more noteworthy and more wonderful than your future. More noteworthy and more wonderful even than the freedoms and the joys that we get. And they are amazing. But what happens to us, and you'll recognize this, and I think to half of us, it starts to identify, when you read this, you go, yes, Jesus is more worthy than me. And yes, he is full of excellencies. And yes, the more I dig into Jesus, the more I see that he's excellent. The more he just blows my mind in his wisdom and his ability to, to plan things and his deep ridiculous love that I can't even pull off a replication of for five minutes because... I don't forgive like he did, so I yell at my kids. 
And I don't trust God like he did, so I'm full of anxiety and anger. I can't love like Jesus. This is the excellencies of Jesus. This is the core of the gospel. So this is the core of Paul's message, number one, that we have a Savior that is not only a Savior, but who is the, who is the beautiful, excellent one who is the center of all things. And if we are his children, our hearts will increasingly sing more and more and more to that. If you think back to the Old Testament, reiterated by, reiterated by Christ, first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Right? The other ones underneath that deal with loving people. But it's the core one to love God. The core of Paul's message ties right into what God's always been doing. We see the excellencies of Christ and we love the excellencies of Christ. They thrill our hearts. We delight more and more and more in Jesus. So number one in his message was to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And number two, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And it's significant for two reasons. And it's significant to you as Ashlonian Gentiles for two reasons. Number one, you need to know that you as Substance Church have been in the eternal plan of God. It's not a fluke. Uh, it wasn't the brainchild of the Powells and the Martins and the Durlins. It wasn't their brainchild. This was God's brainchild. What you sit in and the people you are amongst right now, this is God's brainchild. He's been building this from eternity past. And so there's legitimacy to it. There's beauty to it. There's representation before the throne of God with Substance Church and with you. And it's wonderful. And number two, I mean, this is where I just want to push it a little bit because I'm just a visiting pastor, right? Because you can say things like this, right? God loves the fact that he has a plan, okay? I know in our ch your church here, they talk a lot about the plan of God. They talk about God's forward grace in this world where God is going and opening eyes and that God is sovereign and the man is yet still fully responsible. The reason they push that is because if you read through the New Testament, God tells again and again and again, I have a plan. I have a plan. It's been way before the foundations of the world, and I'm unfolding that plan. And I let bits and pieces of it be seen at times when I decide. And all through the Old Testament, they're only getting so much. The New Testament's opened up more and more, and there's still parts of the plan that we have no idea about. God goes, I have a plan. And if you watch what he does with that plan, that plan always speaks praise to God, which is what our hearts now sing with in the gospel. And number two, this, it smothers us in hope that we who once were dead now have life because God who has come and we are in the, the grasp of God's loving, kind grace. All issues of praise and hope in the New Testament come back down to God is praiseworthy and his love for us is amazing and full of grace. God has a plan and he wants you as Ashlonian Gentiles to know he has a plan because in that plan, you find God glorious, and in that plan, you have utter hope and help. So Paul's message was, I have Christ, I present to the Gentiles the excellencies of him, and number two, I'm coming to unfold this plan because the Gentiles of the world, all the way out to the Ashlonian Gentiles, they need to know about this plan so that they know they are legitimate sons and daughters in the household of God, and that it has always been a plan on the heart of God to do this work and to have you be a part of what is here this morning. So brothers and sisters, as I close up my notes, um, just because I love you and I respect the rest of the team, I'm ditching my last point in this. 
But I'll tell you what it is. God says, and the way he's doing this is he's making this church, he's unfolding his great plan to all the rulers of this world. Actually, the text there is probably this, that God is exposing the plan of what he's doing to angels and demons and Satan. Right? God is unfolding this. How is he doing it? Through making his church. As, as the supernatural beings watch God redeem people all the way, even through Ashland and Worcester and Columbus and all these different places around the whole world, as God redeems and pulls people out from underneath the rule of Satan, God is communicating to them that Jesus Christ has won. That Jesus Christ has won. So brothers and sisters, as we go out this morning, I simply say this. If you listen to the plan of God, the excellencies of God, and part of the excellencies of God, and the excellencies of Christ is that he has a plan, and that he's come, and that you are a legitimate heir of the work of God as an Ashlonian Gentile, and that you now get to participate in being a vital part of his beautiful family in which he longs to dwell. If that doesn't liven your heart at all, and let's just say it's not my fault for not being clear or confusing. But if it doesn't lie in your heart at all that, that Christ is making for him, that God is making for himself a, an enormous family in which he dwells and he loves the diversity of it, it's built intentionally diverse. If that doesn't resonate with your heart, number one, don't just pass it by, okay? Don't just say, well, this wasn't very cool because it didn't tell me how to make my marriage better, okay? Number two, don't despair, so if you don't feel that that resonates with your heart, where the excellencies of Christ have been cracked open a little bit this morning, and it didn't do anything to you, just talk to God about that. Okay, I encourage you to talk to God about that, because that's the very reason for which the scriptures are written, is to show us more and more who God does, and his spirit would set it on fire in our hearts. So if you're just here this morning, this doesn't do anything for you, A, talk to God about it. Ask him to show you what he needs to show you in your heart. Maybe you fundamentally just don't care still because if it doesn't deal with you, it doesn't matter to you. And if that's the case, confess that to the Lord and say, God, I don't want to be a self-centered person. I don't want to be a person who's driven by myself and my welfare and my excellencies. I want to be a person who is driven by the excellencies of that Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived and died and rose for us, the one who had an eternal plan, the one who's going throughout the world as making children from the nations for the family of God. So ask him for that. And if you know you're his and you're dull to it, confess him. Stand in Christ knowing that your sins are forgiven and say, God, make my heart fresh in you. Let me understand. Let me taste beauty. Let me care for the things I need to care for. And let me not be blinded, but transform my mind more and more. And might I say, don't live in a hole. Because remember, you're part of the family of God. Let the family of God help you. So if you have a dull heart, tell someone near you, someone in the part of the family here, something that will not shock them, that God needs to form the dullness of your heart. It won't surprise them because that's what God is doing in all of us. He's quickening all of our hearts to see Christ's beauties more and more and more. So just simply live as part of the family of God, allowing God to do what he takes great glory in, which is redeeming children, giving them a new heart, and then sanctifying, changing the heart more and more over the fullness of their life. Don't go hide away and try to reform yourself and then come out swinging as an amazing, beautiful, Christ-enamored, grace-exalting person. Because if you're hiding in order to come out as that, you're not embracing Christ. So as the family of Christ, dear brothers and sisters, hold to Jesus Christ. 
ask him to unfold his glories before you as the family of Christ because Substance Church, you are beautiful in Christ's eyes. You have been in his eternal plan. You as individuals in these seats have been in his eternal plan. Rest in Jesus Christ, but your spot is glorious and wonderful. Help each other grow in the household of God. Let's pray.